Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Oh, that was me. That's why you sounded weird. You're weird? Because that was my voice. <laughs> I have a deeper voice than you. I didn't realize I have a deeper voice than you. Is that real? Yeah, totally, man. You never realized that before? I hadn't until just now. I thought you were like, uh, you know, that's the whole point about you're doing your R&B project. Did you, did you hear that, that beautiful song I was playing? Yes, Benny, I heard that beautiful song. Come on, take those pants off, Brad. Take them off. Yeah, you don't have a deeper voice than me. (laughs) I definitely do. You sound like a six-year-old trying to get into a bar or something. (laughs) All right, let's talk about something real fast, because I figured something out because of one of our exchanges again. Do you want me to stop recording? No. Oh, no, okay. we're going to figure this out. In, yeah, in public? well, well, it's because <laughs> I had a really it kind of had an interesting uh, point to it at the end. So this morning, you know, you text me, I asked you a question and you're like, I'm fucking waffling. I take it as you're making waffles for your kids. <laughs> so I'm like, Jesus Christ, Brad, I have fucking kids, too. You know, like I'm busy. I get it. And I write back like, yeah, dude, I just made pancakes and, you know, I got to drive the kids to school. I fucking get it. Obviously sassy. And you're like, dude, I was talking about like waffling, like I'm waffling over my decision. I'm like, oh, okay. Text is stupid. But the one thing I realized through this exchange was that you're a better dad because you make pancakes for your kids. (laughs) No, that (laughs) that didn't come into play. Is is uh, I uh, I think any dad who feels like they're a great dad is I don't know we're all fucking up every day right um, mm-hmm. but the thing I realized is that I think text has potentially like ruined a lot of relationships for me <laughs> like like I you know I had been having a hard time coming to grips with the fact that I'm like. Why am I not friends with this person anymore? Like, what's going on? Am I like a dick? Am I the, you know, like, I know I'm a little harsh, but it's like, it's like, what's happening? And now I realize something. I think that people from New Jersey and New York, specifically people like me, text is bad for us. And it's because 
in a, in a public setting, when you're in someone, you know, in front of their face, if you follow up any remark with a nice wry smile and a little like slap on the shoulder, just to be like, yo, I'm just fucking with you, dog. I'm just fucking with you. And then all of a sudden, like it's over and it's cool because your intention is so clear. Like even if you stepped over the line, right. your intention is so clear that you're just, you're fucking around. Just having a little fun, you know? Sorry if I went a little too far, you know? And then it stops there. Nobody cares. But I feel like I carried my same projection as like a, you know, old trashy Jersey guy. Like I brought it over to text and I just kept making like the same types of comments to people, but without getting to like smile and slap them on the shoulder. And then they're just like, oh man, that was harsh. I think people realized this early on and that's why they invented emoji. Oh, to express emotions? Yeah, so that when you say, you're a fucking dick, then you put a little smiley face. Right, 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 right. But isn't LOL, isn't LOL like the new, like, bless your heart? You know how, like, you're in the South, and as long as they say, like, bless your heart first, they think they're they're legally allowed to say anything they want afterwards, like the meanest shit? Right. I think LOL is the new one. It's like... You know, you could say the worst thing, like, hey, you looked like super fat in those clothes and I didn't <laughs> like it at all. LOL. You know, <laughs> it's like your excuse to say anything. You got to because there's a whole thing about email and texting. Both make everything sound meaner no matter what, even if you're not I know. fooling around. Just like any comment you make. I know. Any fact, it sounds mean. And I've kind of realized that because like my whole vibe even though I'm like a really sweet guy, I sound kind of mean. I always have, you know, I just, it's very pointed language. It's short, you know, I get right to the meat of it, you know, and and I can't believe it took me all this time to put it together. But I realized this morning, I'm like, oh, well, that could be the problem to all this. I should call more people. I wish it didn't take like 15 years to sort out or something. I probably, I was, I was professing my like sort of, you know, a moment of weakness where I just couldn't make a decision. And I felt, I know, I know. And I took it all wrong. (laughs) I thought you were like, Benny, I'm making waffles for my kids. I'm like, yo, your kids are like old enough to make their own fucking waffles. Come on. Like, like, (laughs) we could like watch their own. I didn't say I'm making waffles. I said I'm waffling. I know the way I talk over here today. (laughs) We're waffling. Tomorrow, yeah, right. perhaps we'll be we'll be We're, granolaing. Wednesday is egging day. <laughs> yeah, so that was that was a realization I had again through one of our text exchanges, Brad. It's a good. It's good to be aware. I know. I just because this is the medium of our time. So well, it's sort of a double edged sword for me because the answer to so many of my problems in life is shut the fuck up. <laughs> Right. But like I'm getting into like now I'm in um, I'm in this business. I'm in a talking business, you know? Yeah, you are I'm supposed to be Gabby. And I'm probably who knows what I'm going to say if we keep doing this. <laughs> this is, is going to be a problem. They're waiting. They're waiting to hear. I know. Well, luckily, we had Corey Brandon, who you like. I don't think you can even offend Corey Brandon. Damn. You know, he can't offend me, man. That's for sure. I love it. And. I was doing research for this and getting into it, listening to Corey's records again and just being like, man, sometimes I forget how fucking good this guy is. Yeah. You know, his whole approach to lyricism, drawing from those, you know, the John Prines and the Randy Newmans and kind of finding that, that, that silver lining, that dark, 
tinge to the happy things. It's like, like really, that's why I asked him if he's a satirist because there's this weird like Mark Twainy kind of quality to like the way you're explaining things, you know? Right. Yeah. And, and really cool and really smart, you know. Uh, it's packaged in a way that you wouldn't always get, and then you're listening to it and you're like, "Wow, this is fucking smart." It's really good. And a badass guitar player. Yeah. Like the baddest ass. <laughs> if you go on tour with Corey, it's just hilarious to watch every guitar player on tour just fucking fawning over Corey. Like every time he's playing a show, they're on the side going like, what is he even doing? Right. That's crazy. And then behind the stage, they're basically like, hey, how do you do that? You know, and Corey's so chill. He just shows everybody everything. So, yeah. But great guy to be on the road with, too. Just such a cool cucumber. No problems, you know. Um, and, uh, yeah, I had a great great chat with him here, too. I want to see his horror movie. His horror movie is going to be great. Yeah, I want him to score a horror movie. That's what that's what we need to get him. What do we have? Jenny Owens Young as the lead in Corey Brandon's horror. This is three episodes in a row <laughs> that we have come up with some serious, serious movie pitches. Oh, and big development this morning that I sent you. <laughs> Old Judd Apatow getting onto the thread, liking Noel Wells' idea for a movie. So apparently, oh my teasing, Judd Apatow is a fan of going off track. Thanks now. for listening again, Judd. Thanks for tuning in to the Corey episode. I really enjoy your films. You seem like a nice guy. Um let's talk. Yeah, like if you're ever down in my area in the Forest River Valley, you know, uh now buy you a coffee, you know? Discuss some, uh, we'll discuss some of these ideas we've got going on. Or maybe you'll buy me a fucking coffee, Judd, huh? Yeah. That'd, that'd yeah, be more maybe, appropriate. Maybe I'll make him pay. If you want to pay us a little money, we fund the program through a website called Patreon, which is where you sign up in different tiers for exclusive content, videos, photos, uh, pictures of me wearing funny masks, <laughs> content that we don't get to anybody else, uh, just some random blabber, and our Thursday night fireside chat on Discord, which you can only have access to with the Patreon. So, uh, I don't know. You should sign up for it. It's good fun. At patreon.com slash going off track. Your voice is not deeper than mine. This is nice to realize. <laughs> I like this. But anyway, Corey's got a beautiful voice. Let's listen to him talk. Hey, Brad, as an engineer, like how many times in your life has someone told you to check something and you've had to go like two, three, four? Like, wouldn't it, isn't it like, isn't it ever your instinct to just mix it up? Instead of go one, two, three. Yeah, like just say anything else, you know? When I was on stage, I used to just do the ABC song. You would sing the ABC song? Yeah, yeah. I found that platypus and syphilis work, you know, to get any trouble. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, Get platypus. those real, those tricky S's out of the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to get the sibilance. That's good. That's a good one, yeah. I feel like everybody goes through that period where they're like, all right, I'm bored of one, two, three, four. I'm going to start messing around with some different stuff. But then it almost becomes like a challenge to yourself, you know, where like those days you don't feel like coming up with anything and then you <laughs> revert back to one, two, three, four, and then it, and then you just stay there. When I first started playing in bands, yeah, I just did one, two, three, four. 
and then after and then i and then i actually started learning like engineering i did a little house sound and i realized like that doesn't really help so you got to do what you're going to actually do in your performance so Absolutely. that's why i came up with the i didn't want to acapella anything else except for a b c d a b c d e f g <laughs> and then, and then there's, when you're when i'm playing with a band i always you know you want to give them everything or whatever but then i i always hold back about 10 percent, you know because i just you know right. I, I don't i don't i, mean, I kind of want to cheat the trick and you know just have them not duck me what's your go-to mic check Corey? you just um, say syphilis over yes, and over again <laughs> syphilis and platypus and you know. <laughs> Do you Good, understand what I'm talking about, Corey? That instinct to like, all oh, right, yeah. it's like keep, my hundred tenth day in a row. I just yeah, don't want to say keep, one, two, three, four. It, you know, it's a long drive. Probably a long drive to the gig. You know, you don't, <laughs> you don't always have to be on. Yeah, that's I, that's what I feel like. If you mix it up, you get that pressure. Or have you ever toured with like a you know a sound engineer who just like. Every single day, you know, like just runs the same song oh, through yeah. the PA when they get there, which I, logistically I understand because, now, you know, you want a sound engineer. I've never had a sound engineer. But, yeah, when I opened up for, well, you know, uh, when I opened up for Gaslight or when I opened up for anybody. Yeah, uh, I think y'all's dude would do uh, have a cigar. Could be wrong. Maybe that was a revival mean, it, tour, dude. Yeah, I think that might have been different. Joe, who was with Gaslight for a long time, always used to use the same No Doubt song. <laughs> um, which, again, you grow to like love and hate these songs. We had a sound person once who apparently used to play a dance track that was her singing on it. Um, and, and just some really... <laughs> so you kind of grow to like... You know, they turn into those like narrative songs that... That's you know, right. All this is coming back to me now. I think Isbell's guy uses a Steely Dan song. I think he uses Deacon Blue. But yeah, that's the, a nice have, one. A, have a Cigar in Retrospect was pretty good because it has that big synth sweep in it. Oh, know, right. It, it goes all oh, the way from like the highest frequency to the lowest frequency. So sure. I guess, I guess technically that's a, that's a damn good song for it. I mean, I guess the object for those songs really, it's not a, as much about the song, but it's like whatever song you know how it's supposed to sound perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and I guess like you can base it off that. Read the room. Yeah, it's familiarity, whatever you're familiar with. Wow. Yeah. I told you, Corey, I told you Brad reads tape op. Sometimes it goes this way, you know? <laughs> I, I think I, I stopped getting the tape off finally. They stopped being able to track me down, but for a long time I had it and I didn't, I didn't re-up, but they would right. still send them. And I like oh. moved places and then they would show up. It was like a monkey paw thing. I just was like, I don't like, <laughs> this thing is just following me everywhere. Yeah. They're like, please wow. read us. Yeah. Read us. I mean, it's a great magazine, but you know, I, it was mostly trash liner. I've only read tape up like six minutes at a time while shitting at recording studios. <laughs> yeah. I've, that's the, the, the breadth of my tape up uh, fandom is that. That's enough. <laughs> yeah, that's enough. So what's up with you, Corey? Uh you looking at it, uh, jack shit, like everybody. Uh yeah. You know, just trying to trying to tread water, find find uh, ever more interesting side hustles. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I saw you doing yeah. the quarantunes and trying to to convert yourself digitally, but how how are you doing like uh just for yourself on like a day-to-day -day level, like what do you, 
what are you doing when you, you get up in the morning to, to face this, this new world we got? Well, morning's a, morning's a loose noun for when I get up, but yeah, it, it, <laughs> it, it's, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Up and down, up and down, you know, uh, it's, I've sort of, uh, won the lottery as far as who I'm going to be locked up with for a year and a half. Um, mm. my, my boys, uh, he's eight now and, uh, uh, my brain's not working. I think that's how old he is. It's, it's been a long <laughs> quarantine, uh, but, uh, but my wife, you know, she's like a killer cook. So, uh, I kind of win there. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I know. It's, it's sort of a really fun hang, but we're all losing our minds, of course. Right. Uh, and I, I literally, I don't leave the house. Like, right. you know, I mean, I've been out. It, it, it's ridiculous. I did go to um, a lot of drive-in movies. We have a drive-in here in Memphis. Oh, nice. And uh, it's the same one I've been going to since I was a kid. And actually, I have a gig, which is crazy. Uh, playing at the drive-in later this month with Lucero and uh, American Aquarium, which I'm just stoked about um but uh yeah i would get out and go see um just whatever garbage movies they had there um <laughs> every once in a while they would do a b movie thing uh with uh, is Black it like co- contemporary stuff like new movies yeah no it's new movies and then they would have some retro stuff here and there and then um black lodge which is our local uh you know uh video store that has all the cult videos and things and they would mm-hmm. do a a throwback night where you've got you know I don't know, a Charles Bronson film or something that's awesome. Um, but yeah, uh, that, that's been it. That's been my year. But like you said, sort of learning. Um, I just went down the rabbit hole with all this recording stuff and having to learn. I put a different hat on and had to learn uh, what a doll was. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah, it even forced me, the fucking... The, the drummer, the, bon- the lunk-headed drummer who, who sh- <laughs> should have never gotten past like 1971 to buy an interface. It even happened to me. But hey, what, what you running there? What uh, what kind of interface you running there? Oh, I got a Focus right. It's real nice. Go. Nothing yeah. wrong with that. I don't know. The guy I did the other podcast with is like, "Hey, man, this is like what you need. I'm going to send it to you." And I'm like, cool. That's the only way it's going to get done. So you're you're a smarter man than me. If you Um, come turn it on for me every day and uh, put my headphones on me. (laughs) Exactly. So how's your, uh, like, how are you disciplining it? Like, are you, are you (laughs) none? Sorry, just that word. Just none. You're just free. Like, are we talking like you're in a robe for four days? I'm in a robe right now. Yeah, you are. Yeah, yeah, I've got I've got my depression robe on. It's pretty much Good. my. You took my, my pants thing seriously then. It's Good. my uniform. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'm in a robe all the time. All like, the time. Uh, yeah, the other day, uh, what was it? Somebody came to the door, and so I put on clothes and seven masks and answered the door, and then I went right back in and put my robe back on. I was like, this doesn't feel right. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't even commit to a full day of full clothing. No. Yeah, the mother-in-law uh, came by and she's, you know, she's obviously going for the, the obvious, the easy target. Call me Lebowski. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I sort of picture myself a little more Harry Nielsen, uh, cover Nielsen right. Schmielsen with the hash pipe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is it a nice robe? Uh, yes, it's a very nice robe. It's the greatest gift anyone's getting, gotten me. Uh, my, uh, father-in-law got it for me 10 years ago um from uh-huh. a restoration hardware just very nice oh uh, oh I, uh, 
I was go talking on. About, yeah, it's great. The pocket's falling off. It's just whatever. It's like a mix. It it's one of those uh, you know choose your own adventure colors. It's uh, when you look <laughs> at it, it's kind of gray. It's kind of purple. It's kind of brown. It's I showed it to Laura Jane Grace, and she's like, "That's the exact color of depression, <laughs> right? <laughs> My depression room." <laughs> So the shoe fits. Yeah, it's great. Are you are you are you doing those like Instagram sessions and stuff? In a, I I don't I think I've seen you in clothes for those, right? I do. I, I wear clothes. Uh, the last little thing I did, little Q and A thing, I just just gave up and wore the robe. But I've gotten dressed uh, for. I, I try not to do a lot of online shows just because it's so you know. I don't know. I feel like shitty. Well, yeah, I feel I feel weird. There's a dis. There, a there's a disconnect, you know. Yeah, it's like, yeah. It's like the song ends and it's you know, and there's just no typey, typey, typey. Yeah, hearts, yeah. I mean, hearts. <laughs> yeah, your shows um, are pretty pretty interactive with the audience. Normally, yeah, was, you know, it's a pretty pretty rough or a weird weird difference for you, I'd assume. It's yeah, it's like miming uh, your life. Um, it's, mm. it's I don't know something some disconnect there, but. Um, I've done my best to make it sound good. I see a lot of people just, you know, just sort of phone these things in and stuff. So I've, yeah, I, yeah. I did that. Um, and also I just feel sort of like the hat's out, you know, I feel, it feels a little busking. It's a nest, and there's right. nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong yeah. with making a living. I mean, we got to. Um, no, I know what but, you mean. Yeah. Yeah. But I, uh, initially that's why I did that, um, that little um show I was doing. I was doing a, you know, a little interview thing where I interviewed my, songwriting buddies yeah um and i would do that you know i was like okay here's the thing i can do that's um a good distraction um where there's no you know there's no hat out um right right and, right, right sure and then i had to just end those uh, after a while but uh yeah anyway but yeah uh trying to uh just keep busy now that's something you kind of you kind of struggle with even in pre-pandemic is this idea of like i don't know maybe just on the surface like it looks like you're doing something for money is something that really really you know leaves a awful taste in your mouth like i know you're always um very functional about the idea that like hey i gotta pay my bills and music is the thing to do it but you don't want to go outside of that do you think like this new you know potentially semi-permanent digital age we're in is gonna like you know benefit the people who are who are more willing to put themselves out there like that yeah obviously i mean that's um that's the sea change the newest sea change this fucking business has changed out from under me three times since i started i guess yeah uh like you know i i started right at the end of uh you know you know 99 2000 um you could maybe still sort of make a living. And then, you know, the digital uh, sweeping the rug out from under, you know, and releasing records is like pouring a cup of water in the ocean. Um, it's all fat, it's spread out in a very thin pixelated layer. You know, uh, theoretically democratic, you know, uh, <laughs> right. I, my stuff can reach more people. I'm like, well, yeah, reach more people if... Uh, I don't know. It's like, yeah, like a radio wave, maybe if they yeah, build their very... own kit and search every frequency, you know, it's, it, I don't know. <laughs> right, but, right. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, and yeah, I don't know, but yeah, and, and now you have, I would not be doing well, social media, 
that is exactly yeah um, i mean it's it, it it suits my obsessive nature you know to 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 always be checking and looking things but it, i'm not a social person for the for the most part and uh mm. the the 24 7 blitz of self-promotion that it takes to uh uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's a thing that works for people. That's great. Um, it's just not natural for me. And uh, I like the idea of getting on here, this thing and just being like every once in a while, I'll just I'll take the mask down and like, here's what's going on right now. <laughs> you know, <Sure. laughs> like, And it's like, it's almost like it's just poking the bear a little bit. I'm like, hey, here's a little truth on this little app here. Um, right. But for the most part, it's just, you know, it's just dumb jokes and whatever B movies I'm watching. Um. So what B movies are you watching? Uh I watched The Beyond yesterday, an amazing piece of Italian uh bizarro gonzo film. Um Whoa. yeah, I just went I just mainly a lot of early horror and like um the more palatable exploitation stuff that I can watch. Um <laughs> yeah, some of that some of it's fun and some of it's like, oh good lord. I watched uh about 20 minutes of a documentary on Nazi exploitation. I was like, what the fuck is Nazi exploitation? <laughs> and I got about 20 minutes into the documentary. I was like, uh-uh, uh-uh no, we're going to go wash my eyes. <laughs> Good on that. It was a whole thing. It was a whole thing. And like, it was a lot of it was Italian and they were yeah. working out some sort of like, you know, national psych, psychic thing they had maybe maybe that's being generous they were just trying to fucking make money off of essentially porn um but um but there was this whole thing you know about the italians collaboration with the nazis you know like there, there's this whole sort of national guilt they may have been exercising yeah right. uh and that's what interested me a little bit and then i was just like i was i was watching i was like oh, no no this is not for me yeah i mean <laughs> you not, say that's not for anyone yeah. really but too soon <laughs> <laughs> Too soon, too Italy. Soon. You know, come on. This wasn't that oh. long ago. So, Lord. Corey, who would you say is your favorite, like, contemporary horror filmmaker at this point? Like, who oh. still makes who still makes films? Um. Well, the uh, oh, I'm blanking right now. Who who did Hereditary in Midsummer? Um, oh, oh yeah, blanking. Those were. Um, interesting uh terrifying terrifying films i don't know some people saw hereditary and they they didn't see anything harry astor is that right yeah harry astor yeah i uh i saw hereditary and i mean it was one of the only movies that uh I, i was on tour and i just saw it in the middle of the day and the rest of my day was fucked i just everything seemed off like everybody seemed off. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It was, I, I carried that one out of the theater with me. And there's still some scenes in there that if I think about it enough, I can get, you know, the hair on my neck stand up. I see uh, a little kid in it. Did happen. that fuck you up extra? Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. 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 And, and there's, uh, yeah, that, you know, being a father, maybe that did it. There are certain movies that I know not to watch. Uh, you know, the, uh, yeah, right. Uh, and there's certain kinds of stuff that I don't at all get into. I can't stand any of that saw torture porn stuff. That's not uh, not your style. Um, yeah, I know. And then the, um, the the you know the sexism and stuff like that from the '80s stuff can be taken and put over here. You know, I can right, I can, right. I can get my brain around that. But the like violence against women stuff. That stuff is. It, it, that's always, I mean, even on like, 
when I first, uh, my wife, you know, after we were married, she'd be watching, uh, what is it? NCIS is the one or something. And I, and I, I came in, I was like, so a woman is harmed or murdered at the beginning three minutes of every one of these shows. <laughs> <laughs> And, and she's like, well, sometimes it's a man, but, just, <laughs> but it, it triggers a, you know, a, a gut. I, I, yeah. I've always had my emotions tied to my stomach. Uh, you know, if something goes wrong, if I'm mourning, someone dies, it's, it's, I want to vomit. Um, yeah. And so like those, those kind of things trigger a nausea with me and I can't watch them. Um, no matter how high art it is, you know, it could be, uh, irreversible that film. Uh, I could throw up thinking about it when I watched it. Um, uh, like straw dogs or something, you know, I, it's, I right. can't, can't fuck with that stuff. Um, and so, you know, I have to carefully read the descriptions, you know, like I'm picking. Are out you, uh, are you kind of like, eat. are you kind of like empathic where you feel like sometimes it feels like a little too real and you can't separate it? Maybe. Yeah. I, I'm not sure what it is. Something primal. It's something, you know, right down in there. Uh, but then, you know, like I can watch, Friday Thirteenth movies. Um, yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, and they're exploitive, but also, you know, like there's always like a kick-ass surviving yeah. woman in those. You know, uh, and they're kind of like far enough removed from like a real reality where you oh can God, actually yeah, maybe they're, enjoy they're it. Right? As hell, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Even yeah. something like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, um, right, which has its dabblings in reality, is also um, stylized enough. You know? Yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if you went through this on tour, but when, when you brought up Hereditary, I had like maybe two summers ago, I'm touring with Mercy Union. I'm like a few weeks in, I hadn't seen my kids in too long, you know, and they took me to see, I'm, I'm in one of those moods. Someone gave me like an edible, They're like, yeah, we're going to the movies. I'm like, fuck it, go to the movies. I don't care. Pick a movie. Like, um, you know, I was being Mr. Easy, Easy Town. And they're like, oh, let's go see the new Pet Cemetery," And I'm like, all right. You know, not my usual style of how I would choose to enjoy two hours. You know, I'd prefer a comedy or something, but okay, if this is what everyone says. And of course, the one time I try to be cool, I go into this theater and like right into it, there's just like child death, child ghosts, like, you know, just children being put through the paranormal ringer. I couldn't handle it. I was like, I missed my kids too much. It made me nervous like that something was happening at home and the movie was like prophetic, you know? Yeah. Oh, I've, after having kids, man, I have to like be really careful about what I would watch when I would travel. I would, even just getting on the plane, leaving, watching a, a film on the plane that is like too intense. I'm just like, Oh God, I'm so depressed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Oh, minority board used to be fun. Oh no, it's kids missing. <laughs> oh God, this movie sucks. Yeah. It really fucks you up, man. All right, so Corey, that being said, right? I've been yeah. having a fun a fun question that's been happening in here and I want to give it to you. <laughs> yeah, Say, we need some fun all of a sudden, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> we need fun. Say Ari Ari, Ari Aster just Ari Aster. Dro drops into your DMs tomorrow, right? Okay. And they're like right. slides into your DMs, excuse me, for if yeah. there's anyone under like 35 listening to this. Um Slides into your DMs is like, listen, I was listening to Going Off Track. You seem to have a real keen observational knowledge for horror films. <laughs> uh, here's, here's a boatload of money. 
give up singing for like six months and you get to make like a horror film of your choice. You know, you can any period, any cast, any plot. You got any ideas where you would go with that? Yeah, I mean, you know, they say write what you know. It would obviously be a, you know, a touring uh, acoustic mm. folk musician horror movie. And I would uh, I would rely a lot on practical effects, no CGI, all okay. blood, blood squibs. And, and then, uh, you know, I'd see what Savini's up to. If we got enough money, I would, I would get uh, Savini to do the gore. Uh, there would be a lot of gore. It would mostly center around the green rooms of various uh, punk rock dives around the country. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe something crawls out from the stickers behind that are holding the walls up of these infrastructures. The, the penises um, on the walls come come yeah, alive. All the, every penis comes alive. <laughs> all, the, all the bad graffiti is like prophecy. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, this, this is, I mean, this is way too easy, you know, and there's always, the, I mean, the sound guy turns I and mean, that's, you know, he's already disgruntled anyway. I mean, just Wait, but right are you, there, are right you there. murdering? Are you murdering oh. in this story or are, you, or are you in a fear of being murdered? Well, it wouldn't be me. I would have to recast it, obviously. Um, oh, yeah, sure. Um, I, uh, no, no, I would, I would be, uh, the, the the protagonist would be the, just the musician. Um, okay. Just easier. Just easier. You know, I like to see myself as a hero of my own story. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so much. So much. I mean, you know, and then with, a, say, like in uh, uh, Day of the Dead, you know, with Bub, uh, the zombie that they're trying to uh, uh, sort of recondition to be human. Um, I think there's a lot of potential there for, you know, if I have a drummer in my band. Uh, um, <laughs> like, <laughs> that was for you, Benny. Um, and, and, you know, when I know you're when into programming these days. It's kind of only half a joke. <laughs> when they're flying from town to town, you know, to, to see if any of the towns are, you know, non, not destroyed. You know, that could be <laughs> right. like when you're passing through Des Moines. Yeah. You know, on your way. <laughs> you're like, is anyone here? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No one's going to come to this gig in the yeah. streets. Or just, yeah. I, I could totally see it. So, all right. So who are you out of all of our friends or people we know? Who are you casting as this protagonist? Oh, interesting. Um, probably Jenny. Jimmy who? Jenny. Jenny. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, cool. I think she'd be like a kick ass that's an interesting take <laughs> now would you have like a comedic element like a comedic side element? oh god yeah it's gotta be like a kitsch sort of uh you know uh, evil dead 2 kind of thing yeah it can't be uh you know it can't be like uh i'm not gonna do cronenberg body horror um <laughs> even though uh there's some you know I, I love that stuff um god i just watched video drone again the other night um, when he sticks that gun into the faux vagina that opens up in his belly, there's some, I mean, that's some stuff, that's some stuff going on right there. Have you watched, have you watched that one in a while? I haven't. I, I, I gotta be, I gotta come clean, Corey. I even texted Brad before this interview saying, Hey, are you into horror movies? Cause I don't really watch them much and Corey's really into it. And Brad wrote back, Nope. Yeah. So, so yeah, I knew you were really oh, into it. I'll give you a list. Yeah, it would be fun to talk. It's more of a, yeah. 
I don't, you know, I'm not like a Tarantino with this stuff. I don't know, you know, the the grip's wife's name, you know, of, of a particular <laughs> movie. But um, I uh, I just grew up with it. Like yeah. I, I grew up in, you know, Mississippi in a, in a pretty religious household. But for some reason, they were kind of like chill about pop culture stuff. My mm. old man would, he was a jet mechanic. So we'd go uh, to the little dirt mall every once in a while. And I remember him being like, uh, what do you want to see? You want to see Scarface? You want to see, uh, what was the hmm. other one that was showing? Uh, Dirty Harry, maybe show. But, you know, he would just take me to all this crazy stuff. But we had, um, I mean, they were the kind of parents that didn't care that I was glued to MTV and stuff, you know, whereas, hmm. you know, all the other parents in the church were like, it's the devil. Um, <laughs> and then my aunt and uncle uh, in Mississippi, they owned a, um, a movie store. And so when I stayed with them, they were just like, yeah, whatever, you know, get whatever Betamax you want to watch. And so I was like, you know, pop. Seven, seven and popping the shining on and like just paint us a picture like paint me a picture what a what a i'm imagining this is the 80s like what is a little mom and pop video store in northern mississippi like what what's the vibe of that place um you know it it was a furniture store um uh let's see they had the all the videos um you know it's just uh they it, it was Blockbuster had their thing and it was all, you know, little black boxes and stuff. These, uh, my uh, aunt and uncle would have the actual promo boxes out. And so you could go and look at all the ridiculous art, you know. You're like, right. Oh, I, I spat on a grave, you know. <laughs> so, you know, the howling, you know, and all these things. Um, I I just, I don't know. I was a, just a screwed up little kid. And I was just like, hey, this is, I sh- shouldn't be watching this. This is fantastic. And then, you know, uh, you go to the uh, little local pharmacy and on the, on the rack there, they, I was like, what's Fangoria magazine? And I was flipping through it. I'm like, oh, wow. Someone's head is eating someone's neck, is eating someone's leg. This is perfect. <laughs> this is me. This is for me. They made this magazine just from, I don't know who else is going to buy this magazine. This is for me. And, uh, yeah, I just was into it. And then later on, funnily enough, uh, we, we moved, um, like four streets over, like you do in Mississippi. Um, <laughs> and then it was a big, big move. Right. We had a fireplace. Um, <laughs> then, uh, <laughs> to use, you know, for the three days of winter we get, um, and, but our neighbor owned a video store in South Haven and it was a horror video store. I should, oh, you know, the specialty wow. was horror and, and like wow. all the old school. So like he schooled me on the old school stuff. He's like, Oh, you don't know this. And so, but he also had a, a horror room in his house that had all the kits and all the, um, you know, the collectible stuff, the old school stuff. And so, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I love that stuff. And then I didn't care about it forever. Um, you know, once once I picked up a guitar and and uh, picked up a girl, uh, <laughs> I, I never really looked back at that stuff. And I didn't watch any horror, you know, through the nineties. I didn't any of that stuff. Um, but it, did it tie kind of into like your interest in like metal? Um, well, you know, like obviously the Cannibal Corpse and stuff like that, and Napalm Death and things. Like that. Um, but for me, music was always. Um, kind of scattershot uh you know in mississippi it's you just get what you get you know there were no Mm. punks there were no nobody was nobody uh exactly identified and maybe if you did it would be hair metal or something Um, right right but the the hood rat down the street that i was explicitly supposed to stay away from the the obviously jail bound you know mike judge type character 
Sean, who <laughs> who ended up in jail. Uh, then my parents were right about you were right, guys. You were right. He ended up. Yeah, in jail. yeah. They um, nailed it. Nailed it. Yeah. So I would immediately make a beeline for him, uh, and he would. He was the first one that gave me. Uh, you know, uh, here's Gang of Four, but here's also Napalm Death, and here's also uh-huh. uh, here's Easy E. You know, and it's it was just like this throwing shit at the wall and it was like what my my parents would hate all of this i love it you know whatever. yeah yeah I, yeah I just would get whatever i could where are you even getting those records did did you have a record store uh no uh well yes i didn't know about it yet i went to work at it later um uh, the 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 old school one in memphis was pop tunes has been around forever yeah um and they had four lo- four or five locations I ended up working at the one on, on, this is so Mississippi sounding, on Bullfrog Corner. Um, <laughs> and this, uh, yeah, I know, I know. It just sounds like we were just all loading up in the car like the Beverly Hillbillies and going to work. Um, of course. Of course it was but, on uh, Bullfrog Corner. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it was great. It was a real malfunction junction area there because the lights were, I don't know, uh, so fucked up. And so you just, you get to work and then every, you know, two, three times a day, there'd just be a car wreck out in front of the place. Right. <laughs> the lights are all fucked up. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was a good job. Uh, we, we used to, uh, we were one of the last ones that had all the, uh, uh, 45s for the, uh, for the jukeboxes, the old school jukeboxes mm-hmm. that, that still use those. And so, um, and I, and just kick myself to this day for not buying up all those old blues and R and B and soul. Oh, right. 45. Yeah. yeah. It had all, all, the stuff and it was just you know it wasn't that prized back then you know in the early 90s sure. and i uh yeah i'd have to sort that stuff and uh i, I missed opportunity there hmm. what was your like relationship with uh with the church as you were getting a little older and and if and why you were moving away from it like was was that okay with with your parents and your family uh probably not um you know uh we, I grew up going like, you know, eight days a week. It felt like, uh, you know, you do the Wednesday and you do the two Sundays and, uh, you know, and it's a Southern Baptist kind of, you know, uh, almost uh, like Ironman triathlon kind of services, you know? Um, and, um, so I grew up with that. Um, not particularly a believer, but just, you know, how you do social, Um, and then, uh, you know, when I got to call the shots as I got a little older, I just, you know, it wasn't like full on, you know, uh, exorcist fuck God kind of thing. Uh, but it was a, uh, let's just cut this down to once on Sunday. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, and then later I was just like, you know, guys, I don't, this is not my thing. Um, they they were okay about it. Uh, it's just kind of one of those things you don't talk about. With, you know, until later, you know, after high school and stuff. But, uh, but there are things, um, and it, you know, it's just so fucked. I mean, it's so fucked. And I, I have a personal, you know, I'm not just, uh, atheist. I'm, I'm evangelical atheist, you know, I'm, oh, wow. yeah. I, you know, I, I yeah, am yeah. very against it. Um, but, uh, is there anything like acute that kind of led to that or it's just like over time? Um, no, it just, then it just, yeah, over time realizing what a number it did on my head, you know, mm. um, you know, it, and it's just, I was a relatively imaginative kid. I had a, right. you know, a whole little universe going on in my head 
and to describe in graphic, almost catholic detail about what a crucifixion is. Uh, yeah, you know, and, right. And then the you know the weight on the lungs and the, these sorts of things. You know, I just ran with that, and and I ran mm. with you know this idea that I was flawed fundamentally, mm. um, and these sorts of things. And and it just, I mean, it doesn't. I'll find it creeping up. You know. I'm 46. Right. I think I'm 46. I don't. I can't remember anymore. If you um, messed up your son's age, you got to fuck up your own. It's, it's right. Yeah. That it's, that uh, that'll get you out of the first one. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's like I don't know anyone, so I don't even know mine. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a good good cover, uh, but it's true. I, I've always I, I've been saying I was 46, 47 for a while. My wife's like, "You're 45. Don't rush it," because <laughs> um, she's younger um of course but, uh so yeah but there are things that um i'll give credit where credit's due um this was a relatively apolitical church this was before this being i mean obviously the um the whole thing that you unified the evangelicals and the southern uh baptists was like abortion at this time right um, because because it couldn't be civil rights anymore you know right they right, right. they were like okay well we've you know we can't be mm. pulling that playing that card anymore so they you know they had all their meetings from the head and they, they're like we're gonna make this because before if you go back you know the church is like ah oh, that's government issue yeah whatever right um huh. and then so they use that as the rallying cry that's really interesting um, yeah but my church was relatively um apolitical but yeah um oh yeah there's you can go back and look up the southern Baptist conventions and you can see the year it shifted you know when they're like this is going to be the focus yeah what was um, that like 80 but, like uh, 70s 80s so you think when that kind of made that turn 70s 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 yeah uh, it's wow. in the 70s i'll send you a link uh there's this really good piece on it and um Oh shit! I don't know. I've got a link. Uh, I'll send you later. Uh, so basically, just, just had you know. to to rally the troops under a new flag, right? Well, under a some way that they can uh, maintain a political leverage, mm. and so yeah, mm-hmm. they had to find uh, uh, some sort of uh, knee jerk thing, you know? And they're like, oh, right. killing kids! They're killing kids! You know? So yeah, okay. I don't like dead kids. <laughs> You know, <laughs> sure. Yeah, like sure. This is a great. It's a blanket thing. It'll be great. Yeah. Right. Um. Uh. Yeah. It's so fucked. Um. But at all that being said, there are things um that going to a fundamental church that was apolitical benefited me, and I will give it this. Um, they read from the Bible. Uh, they were, you know, there were sermons exterm- yeah, exterminating, <laughs> expounding upon whatever they're reading, but there was a lot of verbatim reading and so not being exposed to a lot of poetry as a child i got i think uh, uh, a lot of my ear for huh. meter for uh, uh like little uh rhetorical things like uh parallelism and and and, and uh the repetition of a word hmm. uh creating power over uh time uh i got a lot of these sort of um literary things uh in my ear, I think, from just re- the reading of the King James Bible. So I will give it that. I will give it uh, some of the music was good. Some of the Southern, uh, you know, the Southern sure. Baptist gospel music. Um, it wasn't any of that, you know, 
just awful, you know, if if there was a God that uh, it would totally offend him, kind of worship music that, eh, Jesus. <laughs> right. And it wasn't, the, you know, the um, the real dry Presbyterian. Um, is Presbyterian the dry one? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, we weren't handling snakes or nothing, but it got a little funky in there. Um, and so the, some of the music was good. Um, I don't know. Uh Star and a half. I won't give it to <laughs> I love that you got your rap. You got your rap from Jesus, basically. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's great. A little, bit of my, a little bit of my flow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, way, I mean, probably from the Church of England, you know, or the translation. Of right, thing. sure. Uh, By the know, time you got had, to it, yeah. I don't know if it had the same flow. And uh, <laughs> You got the King James rap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> so what are you doing for, you know, you know, Brad and I are both both raising kids like you. What are you doing for religion in your house? And oh, no, how are you presenting uh, spirituality like in general? Um, well, I'm letting my wife handle it. Uh, she, uh, <laughs> Me too. Yeah. <laughs> you lucky just, bastard. Which is pretty much my answer for anything. Um, yeah. No, um, my child, uh, my boy, I have a daughter. Um, yeah. She's a couple years older and she's in Tulsa. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, she's being raised religious. Her mother's religious. Okay. And, and since I'm not on the scene uh, anywhere as much as I would like to be, uh, you know, that's her call. Okay. Um, now, when my daughter asked me, uh, you know, I'm not going to lie. Uh, yeah, yeah. And you're not going to push it. You're going to let it come to you. Yes, absolutely. I wouldn't. Sure. And I don't, I don't push. I won't push with my son. You know, he's going to be like, is there a God? I'm like, well, there are stories about lots of gods. I mean, he right. knows all the Greek stories and he knows about Jesus and he knows about Buddha and he knows about, he knows these, these stories. And, and I'm like, and there's a lot of wisdom in a lot of these stories. And there are um, a lot of uh, decent people that find meaning in life, you know, um, with these things, you know, I'm like, I will respect some of these things, you know, I'll, I'll give this, it's due, but I'm also not going to bullshit the kid. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, yeah. So he, he has a thing sometimes about magic and stuff. He's like, well, you know, this, uh, these animals can change their sex or this is, um, this is something this uh, this octopus does to survive in this and she, he's like that's magical and i'm like you were right that yeah. is magic that is magical um but then sometimes he's about ghosts and i'm like well that's not a thing right <laughs> so this thing is I'm magical like, that like, doesn't exist yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so it's a, right. he's like he's like well i mean you he's like you don't know he's like we can't know i'm like and that's right we can't know I'm like, yeah. uh, but when 99.9% of empirical evidence is against it, I'm like, I'm going to bet that hand. I'm just like, I'm just a betting man. And I, I mean, <laughs> you know, and so uh, I just, I'm, I, I'm leaning towards empirical evidence with him. Um, but again, I'm not going to try to steer him uh, too far. Just, sure. he just happens to ask about a lot of things. And I'm like, here's what I think. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of the pious, I I wanted to talk about a man, actually, that I just heard about. Someone who's kind of a sad story, but a man named Tampa Bloom, the less successful (laughs) younger brother of Orlando Bloom. I try to talk John out of these things. He's referring to a John Snodgrass song about Tampa Bloom. Yeah. Um, 
which is actually one of his more successful uh, stoner ideas. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, how did you he, get lured into this the Bloom the Bloom song scenario? Well, John and I tour a lot. And yeah. So, and John gets high a lot. And, uh, and John has, uh, epiphanies. <laughs> he records his epiphanies into his phone. A lot of times I'll get a voicemail from John, uh, when I'm off the road and, uh, I'm like, oh, I check it. And it's just him singing <laughs> the worst, <laughs> the worst, you know, greatest stroke of genius. I don't know. Who am I to say? Um, but, uh, he, I, he uses me to bounce things off of and, um, I, I, I love the man. Lord, he's got some stoner ideas. Um, <laughs> but w- my, my, I, I love John and he's, he's a funny dude. He's a, you know him. Yeah. Um, he's really funny, but what he'll do a lot of times is have a in joke and then he'll make a side joke off of that in joke. And then he'll write a parody of that side joke into a song. And I'm like, John, no one's going to know. I'm like I I was there when it happened. I've got I've got the voicemail, and I don't fucking know what you're talking about. It's right. a little too deep. Oh, I love the man. He's great. What's like a highlight of uh, the person Tampa Bloom? What are they like? And like, do you remember any any lyrics from this track? He's probably like the Luke Wilson, you know. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if that's fair to Luke. Luke's had some good movies. Yeah, he's, he's uh, better, right? Yeah. He maybe he's like uh, Billy Baldwin, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's more fair. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, or Eric yeah, Roberts. Maybe, maybe he's trying to like raise emu or something. You know, he's got a night. He's got a plan. Always, he's got some sort of thing in the works. He's <laughs> going around to collect money somebody owes him. Yeah, he's that guy. Uh, I think I don't know him again. This is this is John's world. You'd have to yeah. ask him yeah, yeah, yeah. when he fleshes out his characters. And just, to stay, uh, yeah. I mean, to stay on point with what you were talking about, about John Snodgrass, this came up because I was attempting to get a mystery friend question, which obviously this can't work for that. No, Um, no. You know when John's asking a question. But even in like the 15 minutes of getting what this Tampa Bloom song is about, uh, a couple side characters started. Uh, Another older brother who lives in Europe called St. Augustine Bloom. And then... A uh, a sister, a long lost sister called Sarasota Bloom. Um, yeah, so he, lo- he so likes characters based on on towns or uh, places. Uh, only in Florida, yeah. He's a he's a he's a pun guy. He's um, yeah, I, yeah. John is one of my favorite people in the world, and he's really fun to tour with in Europe because he just sort of thinks everybody's like on the same page. And, right. uh, and when you're in a French McDonald's. Everyone is not on the same page. (laughs) They're not on the same page when you're ordering, uh, when you're pointing at the menu and saying, Dice and Dos. I mean, he's like, I want this and I want two of those. He's using a Spanish word to order two, you know. (laughs) He's amazing. He's he's like a human uh, shuffle button. Yeah. the you know it's just like if you go to your movies or you go to your music and you just hit shuffle that's right. that's john i love it he's, oh, he's got a, so he's good. got a lot of things going on that french thing is important you talk about i've obviously been in that situation many times and if you don't have a cooler with you 
it can get it can get hot, especially where <laughs> where you're from. Like I remember one of the first times I was in France and I'm in it wasn't a fast food, but it was like a side highway thing. And there was just some old man who wouldn't stop fucking staring at us. And you know, I'm not from France. I'm sorry. I'm from around New York City. If someone says locking you <laughs> for that long, like they they fucking got something to say, you know? And yeah, like like Tim Barry would call it, he was gritting on you. Yeah, exactly. And I like, you know, some of the people I was with was like, Benny, like this old fucking man. I'm like, I don't give a shit. Like he probably killed people in the forties. I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah. So probably it's Nazi exploitation. Like John's kind of was like the gaslight world. It was kind of the Ian Perkins, you know. It's like <laughs> just the guy you can bring somewhere who's like gonna get along with everyone. Regardless. I can totally see that. I can see yeah. that about Ian. Yeah, he's a great cooler. But anyway, so John, as good of a guy as he is, completely failed as a mystery friend because. Yeah. Obviously, he wrote the song he's talking about, so there's no mystery. Did he finish it? Because usually they're a, they're a verse and a chorus. <laughs> I'm not sure. I think that's why he's such a successful jingle writer now, baby. I think we still have. Oh, do we have to finish "Friend of the Dancer," which is about? Um... <laughs> he brought that up. <laughs> Actually, yeah. And what's that song about? Oh man. Um... Oh God, I'm up too early. Come on. Uh, was it John Gaunt being a great yes, dancer? Was that it? Gaunt, and I'm trying to think of the situation when it first occurred. But Gaunt, Gaunt's got moves. I don't know if you've ever seen him. Dance. I, I got- found out last night that John Gaunt's got moves. It's very surprising. It's like yeah, yeah. it's like a Spike Jones video playing out in my head. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. it's great. And so when you first see it, it's it's a disconnect. It's great. I mean, it's uh, <laughs> it's and so uh, John had the idea of you know like basically just uh, he wanted to write a song about being a supportive friend or whatever just being a happy to be a wingman kind of you know it's like i we're just friends of the dancer it's like <laughs> no no we're not gonna go dance with you we're friends of the dancer here <laughs> which is which is um very john idea and uh yeah. but potential for a really sweet song yeah uh, sure I, i'm not sure how far he's gotten on it there's a pop hook waiting there all right so let's get to the real mystery friend so since John failed me, I had to go for another one. Okay. Now, this instant, do you know the, I'm sorry, I didn't even, do you know the more the, the game, Mystery Friend? Uh, I don't. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to prompt you on a little bit of a story. You, okay. I'd like you to give me the details of this story and then guess which one of your mystery friends told me. Okay. Now, I heard about this, it was... Nearing the end of a tour in 2011, and apparently you stay at someone from Lucero's house towards the end of the tour. Now, the quote I got from the person is they walked into this house, and in quotes, I've never met anyone more immersed in the magic of Christmas. There was a mountain of gifts, and they were shocked to find out he owned only one child. Because apparently it was like a winter Christmas wonderland. Do you remember this? Okay, yeah. This is sounding familiar. Uh, again, uh, this might not be the exact game for me because everything before this sentence is kind of a blur <laughs> with my life. Uh, I just have these little passing cars of memories. I'm like, wait, wait. Um, but this is this is ringing a bell. That sounds like Venable's house. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so who would I have been with? 2011. Oh, God. That was pre-Mutt. 
Well, tell me about this house a little. Like, what was what was going on there to make this person tell me it was like it was like the North Pole? Mm. I mean, it might have just been the associative properties of Brian Venable and his big beard. <laughs> it's been like, well, Santa Claus is on the couch. Um, it might have took more, nothing more than that. There might not have even been a tree. It might have just been Brian Venable's beard there. And they're like, this is the most Christmas thing I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I think he'd gone all out. If I'm remembering this correctly, it's just a stack of gifts. You just, a, you know. You were on tour with the person who told me this story. I bet this is Dave Haas. This is Dave Haas. Yeah. <laughs> and it makes a little more sense now. The idea that like Dave thought he walked into some Christmas wonderland. And I don't think you really noticed that much. Uh, <laughs> which seems, seems like pretty normal. Yeah, maybe, maybe Dave Haas just had a really bleak upbringing that we're not. Yeah, that's that we what don't I'm saying. Now, now, I'm, now I'm picturing like this guy, Brian, at a totally normal house. And Dave just had like one. One piece like, of like crinky, like foot and a half <laughs> fake pine with like just some scratchy lotto tickets like underneath or something. <laughs> like, like, was it that bad for him? <laughs> some, the empty liquor bottles hanging from the tree. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe there you bleak, go. Bleak situation. There's a, an uh, eighth of, yeah. yeah. I don't know. All right. That was, that was the first, I think that was the time I met him. We, and we, and by met him, I mean, we just rented a Taurus. And, and and said hello and then went out on the road for a month together. Um, <laughs> I think one of the gigs was canceled because of a gas leak, but we played it anyway. Oh, shit. <laughs> Again, that might be why I don't remember before this sentence. You'd have to ask him about the specifics of that one. Okay. Um, but, yeah, it's I vaguely remember who Dave now, is. <laughs> My brain yeah. is so, so bad. <laughs> I, right. I love the man. You're I like a goldfish, man. perfect for a podcast, Corey. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Just you could ask me the, if, the questions you already asked me if you want. All right, I'm going to ask you something a little more pointed because it's okay. something I need to ask you. Shoot. Do you ever sit back in your robe, preferably, uh, and you know, put your head into your arms and go, you know, I'm sick of being everybody's favorite guitar player. Someone give me some fucking money. <laughs> um I, i'm not sure what that means uh everybody's favorite <laughs> guitar player uh i uh well you are i'm i'm not i i know you can't say it because you're from northern mississippi and you got a nice vibe about you you always well, have also because i'm like literally the maybe the 50th best guitar player that i know like i i i mean you know i've been doing it a long time so i know a lot of Cutthroats. I mean, I know guys that have their own signature models of. <laughs> oh, but that doesn't mean anything. Uh, they don't just give those out. <laughs> they do. Uh, you know the way the deal works. Why? All right, listen. Why did I, the same drummer I'd always been, inexplicably start getting endorsements when my band got really big? Oh yeah, no, I know, like, I know that on. that. That yeah, that's that's the uh, the whole celebrity thing too of like you it's know. It's not like, like oh. I just got really good real fast, you know. Like, yeah, yeah, I know I know how that works. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, I mean I just I know just some really really good guitar players. I know you know I mean like I I grew up around Luther Dickinson for fuck's sake, you know. He's 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 the greatest slide guitar player in the world. That's hmm. he played on a Replacements record when he was eleven. Whoa, <laughs> like his brother because Jim produced please to meet me and and uh luther was already amazing but um that shooting dirty pool song is like a 
not really a song. It was a, almost a collage that Jim made of outtakes and things. And there's the mm. whole fight scene in there. And uh, the all the noise guitar, that's Luther at 11. And his wow. brother his, his brother still messes with him about it. He's like, because he's doing the siren sound. And his brother Cody's like, you finger tapped on a replacement record. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so yeah. Oh, I'm a huge replacements fan. I never knew that little detail. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy, man. Those stories. Oh. And, and like, you know, that was done at Arden, obviously. And, uh, man, there's all kind of crazy stories from that. Um, but, uh, you know, and they came, obviously, because Jim had worked with uh, Big Star. And they, they, were, they right. were huge fans. The song Alex Chilton, you know. Uh, but, uh, yeah, there's a long history of, uh, you know, it's Memphis. And I was born here and, uh, you know, grew up in Mississippi just because there were, I said a bunch, but there were no hospitals where I was from when I was born. So they had to drive oh, up sure. and have me and drive back home. But then I moved after high school to the big city of Memphis. And, you know, it's uh, it's one of those places, you know. Benny, Benny where are you from? It's, are you Jersey? Like originally? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm originally, I'm from like about 30 minutes west of Manhattan. Like that's, yeah. yeah, grew up, been here the whole time. And so, you know, you know, there's like this legacy of music to be from a, a music place, you know. Sure. Um, and and obviously Memphis is broader than some things that did one thing specifically. Um, but yeah, it's just crazy, you know, and then when you get into it and start playing and being, you know, being a professional, <laughs> uh, and then, uh, you know, working at Arden and things like that. And you hear all this history and you're walking through the halls and you're like, shit, trace ombres was made here and <laughs> all right. these things, you know? And, uh, I don't know. It's just something, uh, it's daunting, obviously. Um, but there's, I'm always interested in music towns and, and what's happened to them because they can, in, in some uh, respects, be ghost towns, uh, sure. for, for the things that they, they, the trails they blazed, you know, not a lot of good rockabilly in Memphis, not a lot of good power pop, um, you know, not a lot of things that, um, it's known for. There's still good R&B and soul, a lot of good hip hop, um, Memphis not known for that, um. This is obviously known for soul, but uh, I don't know. It's just always interesting to me how a town uh, either appreciates its musical legacy, how it whores it out for tourist time. <clears throat> yeah, right. <clears throat> Asheville. But uh, <laughs> the, um, yeah, I, that's always just coming from a place like this has always been interesting to me. I mean, was that was that hard for you? Like, because, um, you know, as you're talking about, there's just like it's Memphis and there's these great guitar players all over, great singers all over. And, you know, obviously the town of what, like Otis Redding and Isaac Hayes and, you know, uh, Muddy Waters, like, I don't know, just the list goes on. And you kind of, I, you know, I, I didn't know this actually until doing research on you, but like, you know, it, it seems like you sort of went from, you know, metal and whatever bands you could find and then discovered John Prine and some of the you know related artists with that and kind of kind of switched over and and sort of quickly got a lot of recognition for it like is you know when you were making that switch in a town like Memphis is that really daunting when you, when you have this great history and and all these people around no i took it for granted back then when i was playing you know when i when huh. i was playing i started playing guitar at 13 and playing in you know metal bands and death metal bands and black metal bands, whatever, whoever had me. And then I played in country bands with my, you know, metal guitars. Um, just <laughs> whoever would have me as a guitar player, I would play. And, uh, 
and so uh yeah, it, it it didn't phase me until later, uh, and, and when I become when I became more of a student, you know, like of of, of where I'm from, and um, some of it seeps into you, you know, into the, again through the church and through uh, things you're exposed to, and then there's the whole, you know, it's the Mississippi thing too, and you know, Muddy was actually from Mississippi. He's a what, right. It's a it's a queen of county, I think, uh, but. Uh, you know, there's that whole thing. I mean, again, there, a lot of that is just this area. There's a thing with Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Memphis. Because all the all the people that a lot of people, you know, Elvis was a Mississippi boy. Johnny Cash was from Arkansas. Uh, uh, Jerry Lee was from Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just this sort of, um, you know, these things that can develop in still water. <laughs> in <laughs> huh. yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. isolation, you know. Sure. Um, and then, um, you know, uh, I sort of hit myself slowly to that. And uh, so I would think it was more daunting as a songwriter later on uh, when I had a fucking clue about the world. Right, um, right. But, but the, the, um, the benefits of it outweigh any sort of uh, anxiety of influence, I believe Harold Bloom would put it like that. Huh. Um, yeah. Uh, Did it have I, anything I, to do with like, like kind of the seriousness of the things that like happened in that town? And I'm just talking like off my head here, but you know, if there's, you know, two things Memphis is known for, for someone from where I'm from, it's, yeah. it's music and it's, and, and it's what happened. Martin Luther King. That and just the civil rights movement in general. I mean, there's, you know, obviously the assassination is a big part of it, but Memphis was a, an epicenter of people and movements that happened throughout, you know, uh, the entire century really. So do you think that's part of what comes out of there? It's like, um, it's like, it's like, we're not fucking around. This is like a serious town because serious stuff has happened here. Yeah. I mean, there's Memphis was, uh, you know, uh, predominantly, uh, a progressive, uh, downtown was largely black owned businesses. Um, and and then, then you know uh, Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, and the and the subsequent garbage riots. Um, it it's a city that never recovered from that. Um, mm. You know, there the, the it is uh, the psyche of the city. You know, obviously economically, it's gone up and down, and and things like that. But um, there's a thing about the area. I think this is just me. I don't know. I'm no historian. I'm no, you know. Uh, but you have like, say, when you're in a city, uh, like the Randy Newman song "Good Old Boys" or whatever. It's like, well, yeah, you set people free to put them in a cage in Harlem, to put them in a cage in South San Francisco, to put them in a cage. You know, right? It's it, so it's, but it's not like that here because you have such poor black, poor white, and the communities are, um more intermingled than that you had obviously these horrible racial clashes and sure. and, and this, this terrible history, but you had, there was also a, a bit of melding that went on with the churches and the schools and things. Mm-hmm. You know, my school was half black, half white. Um, there, there's a, it's your neighbors and your community. And so, right. um, I don't know. And I don't want to get too hippy dippy about it because it's, Oh, you please do. You're talking I mean, to me. Well, I mean, it's, it can't, uh, there's something there. Um, 
and it's there's something worthwhile there but there's obviously uh just huge huge uh problems with <laughs> you know i'm i'm not uh, equipped to talk about the problems of this country uh they, what the country was founded on and they're here today and yeah i mean because, you're in a row because you know yeah yeah like, well just because people are yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just because people have uh, mostly agreed not to say overtly racist things in public, you know, yeah, doesn't right. make this not a racist. No, country. of course, it's a it's a fucking mess. Uh, the town's a mess. Um, America's a mess. Whatever. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, let's now it's, talk about something that I'm equipped to talk about. Well, yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 interesting. It's really interesting. You say all that um, now. Like that, that's one of the biggest things I noticed when I started touring was just that I hadn't realized, you know, even though in, um, you know, you'll go to cities down South or in the Midwest and, you know, I'm accustomed to lower class living, looking like the Bronx, looking like Harlem, looking like giant buildings into the sky. And, you know, you go down South and you're like, oh, it's just like nice nice little ranch houses, you know, this is fine. And then you realize, you know, the poverty is so, so ingrained to that part too. But one thing that's stunning is like, it becomes clear really fast that in the Northeast, we do not live together. I mean, that's just the simple nature of how things were broken up here. And I, again, I'm not out of necessity, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm not a Hasidic Jewish community, you know, Hasidic Jewish community, you have an Italian community uh, or something like that. They, you know, uh, with a lot of immigrants in New York specifically flooding in, like at at a certain time, they stuck together out of necessity and made a strong community. And so some of it, that's where, you know, again, that's where I I say, I'm I'm not a historian. I don't know how, you know, how to delineate where that ends and where it's, forced upon people you know that that's yeah but that was a big misconception i had when i first went down south and kind of got a quick lesson and i wanted to ask you what is the biggest misconception (laughs) that a northerner who's like never traveled down to where you're from has that's completely false uh Ignorant uh, levels of education. Um, mm. it just, uh, I think they're, they're all expecting the clampets, <laughs> you know, or some sort of, some sort <laughs> right. of variation of the clamp or, or, uh, a, um, an extension of that might be the inverse of it, but they're expecting a, this sort of, um, warmness, this sort of gentility. Uh, this sort of Southern thing that was a holdover. Um, you know, some of the South hung, hang on, hung on to European mannerisms, uh, right. especially in Louisiana, you know, things like this, but, uh, they hung on to some of that aristocratic thing. Uh, but, uh, it's, it's just, uh, window dressing, you know, and it's, um, uh, people are not inherently more polite or any of these sorts of things. It's just the, um, the uh you extend this sort of face there's a lot of mm. almost maybe like in japanese culture about saving face and uh right this uh sort of ritualistic respect you extend um but it's just it's for show people yeah. here suck like they suck everywhere <laughs> you know that <laughs> right. thing yeah. um and so you 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 have you know you have people that think it's all you know like the hills have eyes and then you have people that think it's all fucking um uh 
yeah like whatever, like some yeah. savannah cotillion or something yeah exactly and right. neither of those things are um exactly true <laughs> there are elements of all of yeah. it yeah yeah that's funny well do you you know going back on like a lot of your lyrics you know i'm listening to a lot of your music before <laughs> this um do you I'm consider sorry. Do, no, they're great, man. They're great. Do you do you consider yourself like a satirist? No, I'm not particularly good at that. Um, you know, I'm not. Uh, I have uh, a streak of it. You know, I, I'm a huge Randy Newman fan. Yeah. Um, uh, I. Mm, it's tricky. I dabble. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I like. I do use. Um, it's more out of necessity. I realized um, that you can subvert expectations. The quicker you you establish a situation, you can start to fuck with it. And I mm. found the quickest way to establish a situation in a song is to work in uh, cliched form. Mm-hmm. Uh, like uh, like if you hear this song and you know two lines in, you're like, oh, this guy meets girl in a bar. Right, oh, this right, right, is right. Uh, this is this kind of song. This is a cheating song, or this is a road song, or this is a whatever. If you have the form in mind, it immediately you can subvert it. You don't have to take a verse and a chorus and a half of another verse to establish this world. This song already comes fully loaded, um, the form, and so then I like to fuck with the form. I can I can do it by the third line. Um, you know. Yeah, interesting. I can, I can, and so um, you know the the image that I, the the metaphor or whatever that i've used before is like a film like inception where it's a movie and a movie and a movie not a great piece of film but (laughs) you know (laughs) it's a fun flick but uh but you know he's like oh we're gonna go on a dream and go on a dream and get this and you know it's like how the hell do you film that or how do you do it well you you make a heist you make a heist flick Uh, and it's like people immediately know it's a heist flick oh you can't get there because of all of this these you know, these alarms and these things that you already know the the format of a heist flick. Mm-hmm. And so he can then go on and do something, um, you know, depending on your opinion of the movie, something interesting or, <laughs> or pretentious with it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, do you need to like take yourself down a peg like early in the song to, to establish that? Um, how so? Like, um, like, like within the first, you know, the first verse or chorus, you almost have to show, show like a piece of the satire, show like an idea that you're not taking this whole thing too seriously by like Mm. one of the lyrics. Like, do you, do you have to do that to, to make it effective? I'm not, uh, I'm not sure. I'd have to think about that a little bit. I know you can, uh, you can achieve a lot through your choice, your word choice. Um, Yeah the tone of it um so much uh steering can be done with the verbs Uh, sure yeah um a lot of your intention can be you know a wink and a nod with a certain verb or a juxtaposition of high and low um vernacular right Uh, that's i i mix a lot um that's uh and again that uh, that might be a fucking southern chip on my shoulder about we're not all jet clamp it. <laughs> that might be right. that might be in there somewhere. Huh. I don't know. I I don't see a psychiatrist. I should see seven of them. But I, you know <laughs> that maybe that's in there, and I'm uh, I'm working with that expectation of uh, you know like 
Just a touch of literary overcompensation or something? Oh, maybe. Yeah. I'm sure sure that's in there. And and it's probably in the first drafts more so. You know, I'm I'm sure I'm sure I'm adept at at, uh, I can definitely weed out and kill my and my uh, my uh, little darlings and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't stop myself from those. You know, again, all these sort of things. um, I just kind of intuit. I kind of I just flounder. Um, and I try not to steer it, steer too much when I'm doing it. I try to, uh, overwrite, you know, for every verse you've heard, I've probably written three or four and, uh, I, I, and I try to, I'll do it in meter a lot of times because the form will create the content. A lot of times, um, I have words I like and I'm like, Oh, what's a good setup for this? Or I usually find that I'm balancing things. I'll have, um, a sweet idea and then the song will end up being just completely nasty to balance that sweet idea or I'll have um, things going on and I'm like, I'm doing this too much. What's the opposite? That'll be the yeah. bridge. I, I, I find that there's a, there's a, always a, a balancing and a counterbalance of um, sentiment and jaundiced <laughs> worldview. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's a, yeah. there's a lot of balancing I have going on in the songs and you know, uh, I work at them, you know, uh, I I don't know. Yeah. You ever think you could do like a full, you know, like a full character album, like a, and, you know, not, you know, not as racy as maybe good old boys, um, or something like that. But, you know, do you think you'd ever do that? And do you think like the world could even handle a record like that these days? I don't know. I, but that takes a very certain person to pull off a thing like good old boys. Yeah. Um, there's a there's that's a genius piece of art um yeah i mean the world could be handled being poked in the face uh probably needs it but i am (laughs) not that genius and i also am not good at sustaining uh themes for longer than a song um Mm. i they're all sort of more polaroids than Tolstoy. Tolstoy. I can't talk. Tolstoy. Uh, you know, I, it's uh, Tolstoy. Jesus Christ. Yeah, old Tolstoy. Uh, old Tolstoy. You know, we're, we're on a uh, nickname <laughs> basis. Uh, I've read like two of his books. Um, the It's that what Randy Newman does there and he does, uh, he's particularly good at baiting I mean, in that album, he baits Northerners and Southerners, you know, sure. he's, bait, yeah. he's baiting you in good old boys as a Northerner. He's like, you know, oh, the the North has set the people free. It's like down here, we're too ignorant to know. It's like, well, yeah, you set them free to live in a cave. The whole song, you know, right. is just poking it. And then yeah. you have a song like Sail Away that is poking at this Gone with the Wind Dixieland pastoral vision of magnolias as big as your head. Sail Away. Mm. You know, it's like, and he's painting, you know, this beautiful pastoral picture of the the South at sunset. Sail away, sail away. And then you realize he's singing, we'll sail across the ocean into Charleston Bay. He's singing as a slaver to the slaves to get on the ship in Africa. Right. So he, yeah. and he's like, he baits the Southerner that wants to think about this, you know, over stylized, gone with the wind bullshit South without thinking about the blood that is in this soil. Mm-hmm. Um. It's a masterwork and it's catchy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? right. Like and, they're actually and, good songs. Yeah. But I mean, but, but the thing is, you know, with Randy Newman, it's like, no, that's, that's high art. 
for me, you know. Right. And then he he does some pop versions of that when he does like a song like Short People, you know. And you saw, or, you know, you maybe heard it was way before your time, but people's reaction <laughs> to that. People were calling in, being like, you know, what is this? You can't play this on the radio. This is offensive, you know, against right. short people. And then all he did in that song was take a, a random thing, and and he's spoofing prejudice. He's like, right. what's a right. we, what's a silly thing to be prejudiced about? And he's like, but, you know, he, he gets down in there. He's like with the nasty little fingers and he's like, he's, he's poking the bear, yeah, you know, right, uh, right. but he's, he's parroting, uh, prejudice at its, as, as a thing. Um, yeah. and it's, and he's doing, but what he's throwing people off is he's, it's catchy, it's pop and he doesn't exactly wink. You right. Know, he doesn't, he doesn't let you off the hook. Yeah. And that is a singular artist huh there there's not a lot of people that can do that uh and, and work in that vein i mean that is all his territory and it's always amazing to me right that he's disney's guy you know you know and, and it's like <laughs> yeah these, right this is the toy these, story guy yeah right and and, <laughs> yeah. and you know it's these it's these twisted you know these guys that were drawing penises in the old you know <laughs> the old disney <laughs> right. things there's all these subversive artists that actually work for this you know monolithic corporation thing yeah and they're, they're like yeah let's get randy newman <laughs> <laughs> he, they they know his seventies output and and it's and a genius and he's just he's just great at writing anything he can just destroy and he's still one of the handful of uh, the old guard that is making a vital relevant work as good yeah. as his stuff I mean his last couple you know and they're very they're spaced out like ten years you know but that of Harps and Angels and then Dark Matter the, these records are fantastic that's um, awesome. Yeah, beautiful things. I'm a huge, huge fan. Yeah. But he's having to pay like the strings on his last record. You know, he's on Nonsuch and stuff, but like, you know, Nonsuch is like, well, we've only got so much money because Randy Newman only sells so many albums, you know. And so Randy Newman goes and pays for his own strings to so fully crazy. realize his Whoa. vision. You know, and it's just like, what's happening with this world? Give Randy Newman a damn orchestra. We're we're better off sheetrocking, Corey. Break off some of that Disney money. We should have kept sheetrocking. We own our own businesses <laughs> by now, you know? I'm never gonna hang sheetrock again. <laughs> That's, that, I mean, that is the exact image I put in my head. You know, some people are like, oh, at least I'm not digging a ditch when they're playing yeah. a, like the worst gig, you know. Uh, with me, it's like at least I'm not hanging sheetrock. I'm not <laughs> never doing that again. Never doing I it could, again. I, mean, I couldn't. I'm just a, a, a frail, flag, fragile, wilting flower at this point. Well, you certainly have not to change. Wear my robe. Yeah, yeah you certainly have to change. <laughs> I, I would just wouldn't want to get any powder or dust on this robe. <laughs> I mean, restoration well, you know, hardware. You do not want sheetrock dust on your restoration hardware <laughs> robe, Corey. <laughs> That hey, just be- you know, Corey, you, you don't got to be Randy Newman to do a to do the soundtrack to a B movie. Mm. Now, yeah, that's a good point. I, and I have a, an amazing Prophet Six synth. You know, <laughs> so a lot of that John Carpenter was on one of these. Uh, oh man, I love those soundtracks. I've been so in, yeah, I know. That, no, you no offers yet. N- nobody's called since we've started the podcast, but I don't know. <laughs> it's probably not going. Oh, actually, that's funny. Uh, Jenny Owen Young, I just pull up my phone. Jenny Owen Young's is texting me. But, oh, uh, she, you got to text her back and say she's been cast as the uh, protagonist <laughs> in a in a new horror film. That's so funny. See I mean, if she's interested. I'm not going to. How will, much would it cost? <laughs> Can you pose that question to Jenny right now while we're on the air and see if she answers? Sure. Say, so how, how much would it cost to have you as the lead in my 
new horror film that I'm producing, directing. <laughs> How much would it be? This is this is a southern man texting right now. All right, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just like well, just, I just pictured immediately pictured fog or leghorn. <laughs> Listen to me when I'm texting you. All set. Sent. All right, all right. Let's see if we get anything back. Now, speaking of all this, now I wish I had known more, but I really didn't know all that much about John Prine before his passing. I, I heard it was almost like the sea of you know anybody who knew anything about music saying how great this fucking guy was that oh man i wish i that, could go back and listen to him for the first time yeah that really <laughs> sparked well that being said for someone like me like what's a good starter record for john prine and what are let's say the three to five like must hear songs like right off the bat um yeah i mean i would just go with great days it's an anthology that, that sort of cherry picks the first uh pre fair and square you know the pre-2000s and beyond um yeah just get, grab the great days anthology um uh must listen to songs from me um there's a song called gold uh stroke of genius you got gold mm. inside of you i got gold some gold inside me too it's so simple it's so beautiful and it's yeah. got these he just has this droll midwestern childlike thing going on on one hand you know mm -hmm. where you can say life is a blessing it's a delicatessen of all the little things that you do <laughs> um those sort of things um there's there's that sort of you know homespun thing but then there's there's a subversive dark thing going on there's a song like lake marie um where it's very beautiful uh it's about a uh, dissolution of a marriage um and then it's comes to the there's a part in the bridge where it's like the uh, they find two strangers mutilated by a lake and he's like and their faces have been <laughs> their faces have been messed up with some sharp object he's like i saw it on the black and white tv you know what blood looks like on a black and white tv shadows <laughs> and then he just yells shadows wow. we were standing Standing by peaceful waters. That's the chorus comes back. And it's just so like, cool. you're just like, what just happened to yeah. me? <laughs> you uh. know, through this little story. Um, uh, you know, Donald and Lydia is great. Um, obviously, a song like Sam Stone makes an impression the first time you hear about the heroin addled post Vietnam vet. And the, mm -hmm. the line is, there's a hole in daddy's arm where all the money goes. That, oh, that, shit. One, does, that one does a number on you. Yeah, that's um, yeah, there uh, the whole Jesus the missing years. There's just something mysterious about how his songs work. Um mm. there's a there's a mischievous nature to him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. There's a there's a wink in his songs and but you're just you can't figure out I don't know. There's always something interesting about his stuff to me. Um and it, it but it was for me it was the first time that I heard um simple poetry it was the first time that mm -hmm. i heard something that was um deceptively simple like that um to where there, you could tell there were undercurrents and there was a there was a yeah. toe you know and i was just like oh i didn't know you could do this with country music <laughs> right yeah i was like oh oh wait she's she's answered back oh she said she says how about one case of a spicy little microbrew chocolate peanut butter stout Whoa! One one roll, man. She's got a lot of lot of oh, okay. requests here. Okay, she there's might more. Be, All right, she might be uh, one roll for Frank the dog. 
<laughs> and she's got to be the last girl standing and not allowed to die, which is absolutely like I, I was saying earlier. That that's it for me. You got to have the strong survivor. All right. Um, she said, "Cool, wow, a musical horror movie." I am all caps ready. Wow, there you go, Corey. <laughs> Yeah. Here you go. You've been looking theaters, for things to do, go. huh? Reasons to take the robe off in the morning. Oh You're welcome. God. I might direct with the robe on. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, this is this is coming together real fast. It's <laughs> awesome. Man. Green lit. Done. I'll listen. I'll 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 throw a couple. Sh- I'll throw a couple shekels into the mix if you want. <laughs> What did she need? I'll take care of the first part. What, what was that? What did she need? Uh, just a case of microbrewed chocolate peanut butter stout, which frankly, it sounds like a horror movie in its own. Yeah. <laughs> That's just me personally. Yeah, I'm not into that. throw some jelly into that? Like, yeah, what's, the, what's, what's my dessert doing in a bottle? No, thanks. Yeah. I don't All like right. My, well, I don't like my food to taste like other food. No. The one last question that I have to ask for all the yearning Corey Brandon fans out there is you've been talking for like two years about having, you know, like 1500 songs or whatever you have a lot. Um, when is, uh, when's an album going to come out? Oh man, I don't know. I'm between labels. So who knows? Uh, yeah, no, I don't have that many. I did have a good year the year before last wrote a lot. Um, they just tend to stack up, you know, it takes so long between records. Uh, you know, the business. I do. Um, yeah. So I just want to find, uh, you know, uh, blue collar working man's label. Uh, they can keep me in product and, uh, yeah, that's what they say they're going to do. Uh, which I don't think they exist anymore. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I'm not uh, sure. I'm not people sure. People are like, yeah, just self-release it. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want seven more jobs that don't pay. You know, I, I'm about to direct, <laughs> I'm about to direct a horror movie. I'm about to be busy. <laughs> <laughs> I can't distribute an album. I got Jenny Owens Young to worry about. Yeah. yeah I got to get the sheetrock up. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Corey Brannon. Thank you for soothing my soul for an hour and a half. I know. I could just listen to him talk. I feel like I feel bad anytime I get into like a real deep conversation with someone from the proper South. Cause it's like, it's like you're one of my like six resources to get real answers for things that I need to know. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I know he's like token Southern guy all the time to like, you know, people like me and he has to like answer these questions, but I need to know. It's fascinating. You know, the guy's from Northern Mississippi. Like if I didn't start playing music and touring, like what have I ever become friends with somebody from Northern Mississippi and been able to get their insight, you know? So real deal. This is why I just got in an argument with somebody that I, I respect a lot, but they were basically telling me that the fact that I have, very little education and almost all anecdotal evidence means my point doesn't mean as much. And you know what? I don't agree because I get to talk to guys like Corey Brandon and pick their brains, you know, like I get to go to the meat, the meat of the situation. Sure. I didn't read empirical evidence about what he's talking about. I don't want to, uh, I mean, maybe I'll, maybe I'll bruise over it, you know, but I don't know. You're getting firsthand information. So I'm saying I didn't, 
I didn't go to 49 of 50 of these states, usually in an awful, awful conditions <laughs> to, you know, just to be sidetracked as someone who knows nothing, you know? I know something. I've seen some shit, right? Yeah. You don't need a college degree for that. Hell no. Mm, I know. <laughs> I'm feeling self-conscious about not graduating college. I just, I can't take algebra again, Brad. Ugh. Gross. <laughs> Gross. Anyway. If you're from the South, you probably like hot sauce. Yeah, I would imagine. These episodes. Buy some fucking hot sauce. Yeah, are in conjunction with Silk City Hot Sauce. And if you go to SilkCityHotSauce.com and use the promotional code G-O-T, you get a free bottle of hot sauce, 15% off, cool stickers. The stuff's really good. It is. They have a, a variety of different flavors. It's all locally grown peppers in southern Vermont. No funny business. No weird chemicals. All good organic ingredients. Good taste cook it with anything. And then all the covers are this really badass, like rock and roll pulp art can even put them on. Like, you know, if you have one of those man caves with like a pool table and you're trying to hold <laughs> on to your youth, yeah, you know, this hot sauce would be perfect on those it's, mantles. You yeah, know, it's comic book artists that do the covers and they're really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So if you got one of those rooms with those weird billiards lights and some shelving, you don't even need to eat this stuff. You could just put it up as art. Yeah. So, you're, you're supporting art, uh, podcasting, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. locally grown small batch farmers. That's right. So, silkcityhotsauce.com. GOT is the promo code. Go check it out. Ah, that sounds good. And uh, how should we go out here, Brad? Uh, Corey Brandon has some socials. Yeah, you know? Corey Brandon at Twitter. Instagram, C-O-R-Y-B-R-A-N-A-N. Check him out. Listen to his music if you haven't been there yet. Oh, yeah. And the uh, the Quarantunes sessions that he's doing right now. He's putting out uh, these little records, like eight-song records by himself during the quarantine. And if you're listening to this, please go and purchase those because Corey is being a badass, releasing his own stuff, doing it all himself. And if you have eight bucks, you get eight songs. So that is a extremely fair deal. And these are the types of artists you should be supporting. So please, please, please go, uh, go get Corey's quarantine sessions. Absolutely. And be nice to each other out there. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.